that you have been honored by the praises we sing here today. God, speak to us through your word. In the name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Good morning again. My name is Craig Thompson, and I am the other pastor here at Malvern Hill, and it is our privilege and joy. Uh, we missed you all last week while we were away, but did have a great visit uh, in Latvia with Luke and Patty Talbert, our former um, youth pastor and his wife, who have we sent out a year and a half ago as missionaries with the International Mission Board to uh, Riga, Latvia. They actually live in a little suburb of Riga called Adagi. So uh, we had a, had a wonderful time with them, and I appreciate your support. Thankful for our staff who steps in and takes care of everything, our staff and our volunteers, great deacons and leadership in all sorts of places that makes it very easy uh, for me to be gone. So thank you, Kevin, for preaching, and uh, Buster for leading the Lord's Supper, and everybody else for filling in and all the gaps it's good to know that y'all don't really miss me while I'm gone, so uh, I'm glad for that. Um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Mark, chapter 8. We've been in Mark for a very long time, and we're going to be in there for a while yet. We'll take a break through the holidays, do a few different things at Christmas. But Mark, chapter 8, while you're turning, let me share just a couple of announcements. Number one, revival is coming up on November the 4th through the 6th. Dr. Condi Richardson will be with us. This is the first revival we've had here in at least 12 years. Please join with me in praying for the Holy Spirit to work through these services and begin now making your plans to be with us. I'm excited about what the Lord may be able to do through a period of uh, set-apart special services, especially as we pray towards those and expectantly wait for the Lord to work in those. Uh, secondly, in recent weeks and months, we've seen God do some really incredible things here in our church. It's always exciting be a part of what God's doing. It's especially exciting now. We've new faces all over the place. However, I do want to encourage you all, our folks, if you're a guest, you can ignore this, but I want to encourage you, you folks to uh, really support God's work here with your tithes and your offerings. We've had a very strong giving last week, and I'm grateful for your faithfulness, but I want to encourage you to give. As God increases our ministry opportunities here, there's a growing need for sufficient funds to meet all of the needs. Many of you are newer to our church family. And perhaps you've never made regular giving a habit. If you've never been faithful in your giving, I want to ask you to consider making tithing a goal. Tithing means giving 10% of your income to the ministry of the church. If you have questions about how you can set up recurring gifts online, you can send us an email or see Scott Taylor or Brian Chestnut. If you're interested in figuring out how in the world you could create a budget that involves tithing, we want to walk with you through that. Uh, we'd be happy to do that. Uh, additionally, as we pray towards revival... I want you to pray about how God would lead you to support your church financially. Uh, so I just would encourage you to make that a matter of prayer. We do need your help in all sorts of ways. We need you to step up and lead in life groups and lead in our children's ministry and lead in our student ministry. But we also need you to step up and honor the Lord with your finances so that we can make all these things work. If you have your Bibles, hopefully by now you've made it to Mark chapter 8. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. Stand with me in honor of God's word. I missed y'all last Sunday, by the way, so thanks for letting me come back. Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, they had nothing to eat. He, that's Jesus, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, how can, we feed? how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? You see what they did there? They didn't say, how could we? How can one? Jesus, what are you going to do about this? We got nothing. 
And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples and set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these should also be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And and immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanthua. Let's pray, or Dalmanthua. Lord God, thank you so much for your love and your grace. Thank you for this word this morning that reminds us that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the living bread of God's word, is available to all people. Father God, may we be found as people living in the image of our Lord and Savior, regularly breaking the living bread of life, the Word of God and the gospel of His truth before a world that is lost and in need of salvation. Be with us this morning. May your Holy Spirit meet with us and move among us. Father God, I pray that you would take the frail and feeble words of this preacher And apply them to the ears and the hearts and the minds of this people. Hide me behind your cross. Father God, multiply your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Now it's hot in here, so just if y'all aren't hot, that's fine. If I come out of this jacket in a minute, y'all just understand I am sweating already. And we haven't even gotten started good. Now, we've been in Mark for a very, very long time. And, uh, and I, I, I'm thankful for that. It's, it's been exciting. I hope that it's blessed you in the ways that it has blessed me in this study of Mark. Uh, some of us, in a, with a cursory reading, would come to this passage of Scripture and go, well, we've already done this before. Well, we've certainly gone through Jesus' miracle and the feeding of the 5,000. In that instance, we are told that it was 5,000 men plus all the others. In this instance, we're told it's 4,000 people. Uh, some scholars, especially those of a liberal bent, have tried to argue that these are not two separate events, but it is only one event that Mark and Matthew weren't smart enough to figure out that it was just one event, and they kind of squashed them down into two events. We think just about this with common sense, and that's really what we need to do to overcome most liberal bias is to use some common sense. Common sense tells us that somebody who had the ability, the knowledge, the learning, the understanding to be able to write such incredible pieces of literature as Matthew did and as Mark did in these Gospels would also lead us to believe that in the course of all of their research, somewhere along the way, they wouldn't have gotten fooled into believing that one miracle should be divided into two stories. There are two stories of two miraculous feedings in the New Testament because there were at least Two miraculous feedings that came about at the hand of Jesus Christ. And the reason that we have both of these included is not just so we will know that God can feed people. It's because we need to know from God's word that the gospel, the power of Jesus through his shed blood, the gospel of Jesus Christ is available to both the Jew and the Gentile. What we saw in the first feeding is that that took place in a Jewish land. This was a time when Jesus fed what we would know, would think uh, in a religious sense to be his people. He fed the Jewish people. All right. In this setting, we're coming on the back end of, of Jesus having already ministered to Gentiles in a couple of unique ways. Remember, he shifts gears when he picks up, well, he didn't pick a fight, but the Pharisees picked a fight with him all the way back in chapter 7 in the first part and said, hey, why are your disciples filthy and defiled? And Jesus says, no, 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 you have distorted the rules of God and elevated the laws of man. 
Mark then takes us from that, <coughs> from that picture straight into Jesus' healing of a Syrophoenician woman and of a deaf man, both of whom are Gentiles. Jesus' ministry is taking a shift right here, and it's important. This is marking a significant shift in Mark's gospel, and here we're beginning to see that the gospel, the ministry of Jesus, is available not only for the lost sheep of Israel, but the ministry of Jesus' gospel, the message of salvation and hope, is available to the Gentiles as well. In other words, all who would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ can and will be saved. And so what we see right here, big picture, and we're going to break this out, but big picture is that Jesus is engaging in a feeding miracle, not to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. Jesus says, I am the Messiah for you as well. Folks, we must not miss the symbolism here. First of all, we have the very living bread of life giving bread to those in need of it so that they will not die. Don't miss that. Don't miss that in first century Palestine, bread represented life. Not just in the spiritual sense that we see Jesus as the bread of life. Bread represented life because bread was all they had. The fact that they had bread and fish is not somehow unique. That's really what they ate all the time. Okay? And, and they ate this nasty salted fish mess. I don't even... Like we walked through a market last week and they had some of it laid out right there. It is disgusting. I don't, I, mean, I don't mean that ugly. I'm being culturally insensitive. But if y'all like it, that's your own business. That's good for y'all. I don't like anchovies either. There's lots of things that I don't like. I'll eat Vienna sausages, but not anchovies. Thank you, brother. All right. So we've got Jesus uh, ministering to this group of Gentiles. He has compassion on them. He says, what in the world are we going to do? Don't miss what happens, the living bread of life. What has God done already to create a people in the desert one time before? You'll remember that he brought them out of the place where they were being held in bondage. He brought them through the Red Sea. They got out there. They've been out there for a while. And they said, we're starving to death. And God says, I don't want you to die on the way. The Bible says that God gave them bread, manna from heaven, and satisfied their hunger, satisfied their need. Here we see Jesus not just calling out a people for himself from among God's chosen people, the Jewish people. Jesus calling out for himself a mixed multitude of people from where? From all over, from these Gentile nations. And feeding them with the manna from heaven, with the very bread of life, that they may have life. Okay? Now, I, I, I'm going to go ahead and make reference to this. I, I don't want us to miss the symbolism of the numbers here. Uh, it's important. Some would disagree with me. I disagree with them. So we're going to go with my interpretation today because I'm the one with the microphone. Um, when the, Bible, the Bible uses a few, a few numbers repeatedly. One of the numbers that we see used often is the number 12. The number 12 represents the nation of Israel. So in the first feeding, it's not an accident that when he did all these things, they took up 12 baskets of leftover food. There was enough left over to care for all of God's children. All of the Hebrews, all the tribes of Israel were going to be recipients of the gospel if they would just trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? The number seven is often used in the Bible to refer to those who are outside of God's chosen people, to the Gentiles. So it's not an accident. There are seven pieces of bread at the back end of it. There are seven baskets of food. Large baskets, big hampers of food that are collected. Why? To remind us that when Jesus is finished feeding these people, there's still enough to go around for all of those who still exist outside of God's salvation. Everybody 
can have access to the gospel and everybody is welcome at the wedding feast of the Lamb. Okay? Don't miss that symbolism. So this morning, I want us to consider what it is for the Bible, for the Word of God, and the gospel of Jesus Christ to be the living bread for all. And I want us to ask this question of ourselves and hopefully answer it through the course of this message. Who needs to know that Jesus came for them too? Who also needs to know that Jesus came for them? In addition to the people sitting around you, who else can you think of that needs to know that Jesus came? And if we were to word it one other strange way, who can you think of in your mind right now that might not believe that God would actually love them? Do you understand that for these Gentile people, they had been told for all their lives that the Jewish God and the Jewish Messiah was for the Jewish people and they were outside and here Jesus stands up in front of them and teaches them for three days. And at the end of it says, man, I love y'all to death. Y'all are part of my people. Let me feed you. He brought them to his banqueting table, as the Song of Solomon says. And his banner over them is love. Who is it that you know who needs to be invited personally to the wedding feast of the Lamb? To be reminded that God's salvation is available for them. How in the world can you know? First thing that we need to be sure that we do as we consider who those people are is to identify those who need the Lord. Now that seems kind of basic, doesn't it? Identify those who need the Lord. What do I mean by that? I mean figure out who in your circle doesn't know Jesus. Okay? Now, you can't identify them unless you're near them. Right? You can't. Don't tell me that you looked at them and just assumed that they didn't know Jesus. There's a whole lot of people you look at in here and go, that person probably doesn't know Jesus. And they might, okay? There's a lot of people that look at me and say my favorite word. Well, you don't look like a preacher. Okay, that's fine, but I am one, so we got to deal with it. Right? We don't get to just look and go, oh, not Christian. I saw that tattoo. You obviously don't love Jesus. You know? I saw the motorcycle. There's no chance that you could be a follower of Jesus. Whatever it might be. Right? I was once told that, no kidding, this is fun. I was once told that pastors didn't drive trucks and didn't have beards. <sighs> I fail all over the place. Identify those, but you can't identify them without being near them. But how can you identify the people who need the Lord? People who need the Lord don't look a certain way or necessarily go to certain places, all right? Now they do, we could, we could, so we could certainly say, well, there's a, a general sphere of places where we wouldn't expect to find a whole lot of Christian people, right? But I want you to know that there's, there's non-believers everywhere you go. You see, we try to identify those people who don't know the Lord. We don't necessarily need to go down to our nearest bar and knock on the door and say, show me all of your non-believers in here. You probably need to pray that the Holy Spirit of God would give you eyes to see and a heart to perceive and look around on your job. Look around in the grocery store. Look around on your kid's ball field. For goodness sakes, all the places where God puts you in a regular basis and say, Lord God, who is it that I'm regularly encounter, encountering who needs to know the Lord Jesus Christ? Folks, have you prayed that God would open your eyes? You know, it's amazing. When you begin to pray, Lord God, put people in my path with whom I could share the gospel. You know what you find out? First of all, he sends them. Second of all, you'll discover 
That he just opens your eyes to discover and discern and understand that there are people who've been in your path for a long time that need to know the Lord and you just hadn't thought enough about it to actually tell them. Okay? What's it look like? We've got to identify those who need the Lord. We need the Spirit to open our eyes. Just as Samuel couldn't know that the king that God had chosen for Israel until the Lord showed him David, so too you cannot see the spiritual needs of others until and unless the Holy Spirit works. And can I step back for just a minute and be mean and tell you that just because it's your grandchild doesn't mean that they are saved? Just because you saw them get baptized when they were six years old doesn't mean they got saved. If they've lived like hell for the last 30 years, maybe we should consider that they are a child of hell and not a child of the king. And the compassionate, caring, loving thing for us to do is not to continue to affirm their lie, but to go to them with eyes of, of, of compassion and care and to beg that they would turn from their ways and be saved. Well, you don't know their heart, preacher. I don't. You're right. I don't. Which is exactly why I have to go to them with the gospel. I don't know their heart. All I know are their ways. And if I believe what the Bible tells me, the Bible says that their words... Their actions actually, in Mark chapter 7, reveal to us what's in their heart. So when I go and I perceive of people who are living far away from Jesus, I don't know their heart, but the assumption for me is that their heart is not real close to Jesus either. And I, as a person who loves the Lord and has compassion for the lost, needs to stop living on the excuse, well, they say they're a Christian, so I'm just going to leave them alone. I don't want to make them feel uncomfortable. No, you don't want to make you feel uncomfortable. It's time that we prayed that God would give us eyes to see. Who was it that Jesus went after? The hypocrites, right? Who are those people who claim to be followers of Jesus but never darken the doors of the church and never live lives of, 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 of Christian understanding? Who are those people? Guess what? They are hypocrites. We all want to point our finger at the hypocrites living in the church. They're here. They're here. But honestly... Many of our strongest hypocrites are those who continue to claim to be followers of Jesus Christ and never darken the doors of a church. You say, Pastor, that's not nice. That's ugly. Listen to me. Go home and think about it. Somebody says one thing and they do another. What does that make them? That makes them a hypocrite. When they claim to be a Christian and they don't live like Jesus and they never darken the doors of God's church, what are they? No, Craig, the hypocrites are in the church. I just said there are some here. But that doesn't mean there aren't some out there. Right? That's like, it doesn't matter. Let's move on. All right. So, what does it mean to have eyes to see? Identify those who need the Lord. And be honest and serious about it. That's the compassionate and caring thing to do. And one of the hardest things I ever did was to write letters to those people who are most dear to my heart. And to say, I know you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But there's nothing in your life right now that suggests that's true. People quit speaking to me for a little while. I did not want that to happen in my life, but my heart was overwhelmed with concern because the words that they said didn't match up with the actions of their life. It led me to believe that perhaps those people did not know the Lord. So identify those who need the Lord. Number two, have compassion for the lost. You've got to get to know people. People aren't projects. They are image bearers of God. Jesus didn't just see a faceless mass. He saw people. This wasn't just a blob of people that needed to go away. These were precious individuals who needed the Lord who had real needs. Identifying those who need the Lord requires us to actually get to know people, but knowing them as people rather than as projects, or worse, even as enemies. What? 
Have we done that before? We live in this politically charged culture where everybody's divided. Everyone is divided. And this most recent Supreme Court mess has really made it even worse. So that I see even people who claim to be blood-bought believers in Jesus Christ referring to those who disagree with them, not as people with whom they disagree, who have a desperate need to know Jesus, but as enemies. Do we see them as image bearers of God who need the gospel? Or do we see them as our enemies that we must shout down? What's it look like to have compassion on those around us? To have compassion when we see them destroying their lives and not to stand back and point our finger and say, I told you so, but to come alongside and say, how can I help? Do you know why we don't practice compassion all that much? One of the reasons is Fox News and CNN. Y'all should cancel it from your cable and just be done with it. Facebook's number two, but I get fired. So um, why don't we practice compassion that much? Because it's hard. It's hard. It's a lot easier for me to label you as an enemy and never speak to you again than it is for me to label you as an image bearer of God in desperate need of the love and the care and the compassion of Christ's gospel and God's church. Do you know how hard it is to walk with difficult people? Do you know what they do? They stab you in the back. They let you down. They mess up your life. They cuss in front of your kids. Do we have the kind of compassion that we need to actually sit down with them and to walk through? To drink coffee until late at night as they try to wrestle with their addictions? To be a listening ear when their world is upside down? To see the hurt and the pain and the struggle and to recognize that they have brought it all upon themselves but they are still in desperate need of the hope of Jesus Christ? Has it ever occurred to any of us that Outside of God's grace and an opportunity to be exposed to His gospel where we might be saved, that we might be right where they are. Some of you need to remember that you could just as easily have been right where they are. But for the grace of God. Have compassion for the lost. Jesus saw them, and the Bible says, He said, I have compassion on the crowd. I have compassion. Why? Because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. Of course, we're going to see later that Jesus is going to say, I have compassion because they're like sheep without a shepherd. Folks, do we have compassion for the lost? Do you, do you occasionally get up on Sunday mornings and pray for those people that you pass on the way to church that don't, that don't have a, a, a relationship with the Lord? When's the last time you drove through your community and prayed for those people around you who didn't know the Lord? And had a heart of compassion and concern for what it is that that lack of relationship is doing to their lives. Have compassion. Jesus had compassion enough that he was willing to feed them. What are you willing to do for those people with whom you have compassion? Compassion will drive us to do some crazy things. Compassion will drive us to do things that cost us a lot and give us nothing in return. <laughs> have compassion for the lost. Number three this morning, look past the obstacles. Perhaps the obstacles are just opportunities for the Lord to work. You ever thought about that? How, I, I'd, love, I'd, I'd love to have some of you stand up. We don't have time. There's too many of you. And just tell me what were the greatest obstacles that God had to overcome in your life so that you'd be saved. Man, some of y'all would walk out of here with your, your chin on your chest. You wouldn't be able to believe it. Consider this story, for instance. A woman named Dagnia. Dagnia had no faith tradition. 
when one of our International Mission Board missionaries shared the gospel with her. Dagnia didn't show up for church the next week or the next or the next, but when she did finally show up, she showed up to chaos. Now, the International Mission Board missionary that shared with Dagnia was Patty Talbert. And when Dagnia showed up for the first time, it was last Sunday. And she showed up to church last Sunday to kids running around crazy in a church plant in a daycare center that is called Fairytale Land. And she showed up to see this American preacher attempting to communicate with her through a translator who had never, ever translated. What I want you to know is that Dagnia showed up to Missias Draudza Adagi in a chaotic scene. She walked into what any one of us would have perceived to be an overwhelming obstacle, but it turns out that it was just the opportunity that God had ordained for her. You see, she had been heard the gospel and she'd been invited to church many months ago. And she had resisted that invitation until finally she showed up last week. And as I attempted to communicate the gospel from 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and speak about the power of the cross, my translator couldn't get through three sentences without being completely lost and confused. So what happened was Luke and Patty sat on the front row and another lady, a Latvian lady with good English, sat on the second row and they engaged in a, com- a, 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 a corporate effort to translate for me. It was conversational chaos. There was lots of laughter, lots of awkward wringing of hands and me just standing there completely dumbfounded. And yet through the midst of that, What we learned later is that Dagnia, for the very first time, walked into that chaos and was overwhelmed, you ready for this, with the family feeling of that environment. And she texted Patty later in the week and said the church was so warm and friendly on Sunday. And for the first time in my life, I feel like God has broken down the walls in my heart and I'm ready to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. You want to talk about God overcoming obstacles? He takes our obstacles and makes them into opportunities. He can take a terrible translation and a bad preacher in fairytale land and make it into a gospel-centered, Christ-exalting, salvific event. If you want to pray for them, pray that they can move out of fairytale land. It really creates some serious obstacles for people coming to the Lord. (laughs) Folks... These obstacles that we perceive of, consider some of these, some of the obstacles we talk about, the timing just isn't right, or there hasn't been enough time, or she would never listen to me if I wanted to share the gospel with her. How about this one, my favorite? People like that don't become Christians. This reminds me of a lot of the people who became followers of Jesus, the kind of person who becomes a Christian, murderers, adulterers, and thieves. That's who Jesus' closest people were. If that doesn't convince you, maybe you'll be convinced by some of the obstacles that people in our church, or excuse me, convinced by some of the obstacles that God has overcome in the lives of some of the folks sitting right around you in this church, in this room. This sanctuary is filled with people who have been saved from alcoholism and drugs and pornography and adultery and sexual immorality of many kinds. Materialism, greed, filthy talk, anxiety, worry, selfishness, Pride, gossip, hatred, and racism. Are you guilty of some of those things? So is your neighbor. And God was willing and able to overcome those obstacles and turn them into opportunities for His glory. 
You see, you're seated beside people who are just like you and others who, once, who many saw once as unsavable, people whose lives were one giant obstacle, but our obstacles are God's opportunities. What does it look like for us to introduce people to the Lord? Who is it who needs to know that Jesus came for them too? The people who are hardest to get to. The people who have the most obstacles in their life. Because God came to overcome all of them. Jesus is the Savior of all. Jew, Gentile alike. Righteous and unrighteous. Who did he come for? The unrighteous because they desperately need a doctor. So identify those who need the Lord. Have compassion for the lost. Look past the obstacles. Pray past the obstacles. Pray through the obstacles. And then finally this morning, give life. In Matthew 4, 4, Jesus said, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Those were the words that Jesus quoted from the book of Deuteronomy when Satan attacked him in his temptation. Folks, when we consider what it is to give people Jesus, we've got to give them more than a good feeling or a good idea. We've got to give them the word of life. They have to hear the gospel. This is what they desperately need. There is nothing else on planet earth that fulfills our deepest longings. Some of you walked in here today, one, uh, sorry, Jesus saw people in need and he met them at the point of their need. They were hungry, so he gave them bread. But he gave them more than physical bread. He gave them the living bread that gives life. What do you have to offer? These Gentiles were shunned by the Jews, but, Jews, but when Jesus saw their need, he didn't pass by. Just as the good Samaritan binded up the wounds of the injured man, Jesus, too, saw the needs of people different than him and met them right where they are. Are you willing to share Jesus with people who are different than you? I'm, I'm going to tell you something. If you've been a follower of Jesus and plugged into a local church for more than about six months, you have grown different from the non-believers around you. Okay? I, I mean, I'm just being honest. It's, it's incredible. Some of you, especially those of you, so those of you that didn't grow up in the church, maybe those of you that were saved from, from what we'll, we'll refer to as notorious sin, right? You, you saw that when you came to the Lord, you saw that over time, your friend group changed significantly. Whether you tried or didn't try, your, your, your desires in this direction naturally drew you away from, from this other group of people. I'm just curious, are you, are you willing to see that other group of people, not as enemies, not as filthy, not as unclean, but as people who are just like you once were and in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you, and are you willing to see them and to give them the bread of life? Are you willing to share Christ? Often we just kind of walk through life blind and oblivious to the needs that exist around us. One of the great, this is going to sound bad, just let me finish. One of, well, I shouldn't say great things. One of the things that happens as a result of, of natural disasters is we become acutely aware of the needs that exist. Angela and I drove to Myrtle Beach a week and a half ago to fly out. And we, we left early because we were concerned about getting across the bridge there on 501. And, and as we drove through, just overwhelmed with the needs that were literally flooded all around us. 
Properties that were flooded up to the second story. It's terrible. We drove back through Wednesday morning at about, or Wednesday night at about 11.30. And, and, and we're again overwhelmed. It was dark, so I couldn't see, but just the, the smell of the flood water was just overwhelming. We become acutely aware of the needs around us. But you know, if I stayed in my comfortable home, I wouldn't be aware of that. If I hadn't driven through Conway, I would have no clue. If I kept the TV off, I just sat at home, I wouldn't know. Folks, are you willing to open your eyes to see the needs around you? Are you? Are you willing to do the uncomfortable thing and to find those people, identify them that need the Lord? Not to talk about them. Not to judge them. Not to cast a, a, a sideways glance. But to see them as people hungry for a touch from the Master. Are you willing to have compassion for the lost? Jesus said, I see them and I have Compassion. The disciples were a little bit oblivious. Well, what in the world are we going to do? Did you notice that? What are we going to do? The disciples first, well, no, that's not what they said. They said, what are you going to do? Good Baptist right there. (laughs) Oh, you see a need. How are you going to fix it? Good luck. Jesus had compassion. Folks, when we begin to have compassion for the lost, it upsets our comfortable world. Are you willing to have compassion? Do the hard things? To get down in the muck and the mire of the world? Or you want to look past the obstacles? Well, they wouldn't listen. How do you know? I'm just curious. How do you know? How do you know they wouldn't listen? Have you asked? Did they tell you, never bring up Jesus with me again? Listen, if you have a conversation and they look at you and say, don't ever mention Jesus to me again, I'll let you off the hook. Right? There, that, that does happen. Rarely. But maybe it'll happen. But until then, how do you know? We really are living in a bad spot and we begin to assume we know what people are thinking or what their motives are, the way they feel. Look past the obstacles. See the obstacles as opportunities. That person wouldn't come to the Lord. How about this? That person above everybody I know needs to come to the Lord. How amazing is it when God can take our most notorious sins and hang them up in heaven as trophies of His grace? Look past the obstacles and finally give life. Give it freely. Freely. Offer it up. See, we're surrounded every day with people in desperate need for the gospel. Will you join with me and meet that need and give them hope and give them life? See, even more, some of you walked in here today wondering if God could or would actually save you. You want, now, you might not have wondered it aloud. Okay? Maybe you didn't say it out loud. You, you, maybe you wouldn't dream of saying it out loud. But deep down in your heart of hearts, you look in the mirror, maybe not every day, but maybe especially on Sundays when you know that somebody's expecting you to show up at church, you look in the mirror and you go, there's really no way that God could do something with this. Can I tell you that you're, you're about halfway to where you need to be for God to do something incredible with that? Because when we recognize our inability... It really opens up the door for us to fall face first at the cross of Jesus and pray, Lord God, forgive me for I am a sinner. Do something. Some of you walked in here and said, could God, would God, can he, shall he, has he actually saved somebody like me? 
Maybe you wondered even differently. Maybe you just said, you know what, I can't fit in among those, those church people. Like, they're, they're way too good for me. But listen to me, you don't know us real well if that's the way you think. See, you've seen the obstacles to belief, but you've not met the Christ of belief. He has, watch, he has not yet found an obstacle so great that he could not and would not overcome it and overwhelm it and destroy it and tear it down and grind it up into little bitty pieces and then rebuild it as a testament, a monument for his glory. So we have two invitations this morning. Not just one, because I was gone for a week, so we've got to make up. The first one is this. Some of you really desperately need to come this morning and to bow at this altar and pray, Lord God, I've seen all the hurt and the pain around me, and I've closed my eyes to it. I believe the lies of Satan. I believe that those obstacles are too big for God to overcome. Lord God, break me down. Change me. Give me eyes to see and a heart to perceive. Not only of all that you have done, but of all that you can do. Show me those people that need the Lord. And give me the courage to carry to them the good news of the gospel. But there's some of you here today. I'm confident there's at least one person in this room today who left home believing in their heart of hearts. Now, you might have put a tie on to cover it all up, but you left home believing either, number one, that God couldn't or wouldn't save you, that He couldn't change your heart, that He couldn't change your desires, He couldn't make you different. You're wrong. Would you come today and experience the life-changing salvation of Jesus Christ? But the second thing that some of you woke up believing is that you just never could fit in. You know what? You know what, God? I know you're real. I know you exist. But those church people, that, that's just not for me. They would never accept me for who I am. You ready for this? Would you come today and watch God give you a new life and a new family? Would you watch Him break down the barriers of pride and shame in your life and overwhelm you, not only with the love of Christ and the Holy Spirit of God, but with the love of a church family who will come alongside you, walk with you, disciple you, mentor you, befriend you, and watch as God changes you. What are we going to sing? Alone in my sorrows and dead in my sin. Lost without mercy till Jesus came in. There's no need for you to be alone anymore. Jesus stands ready to receive you. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you'd work through the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that your word, Lord God, which is powerful to save, would, would work, would save. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you stand, before you stand, listen to me. Listen to me. Because I told you that Jesus would, but I didn't tell you how. The cross of Jesus Christ is sufficient to save you from all of your sins. All of them. Filthy though you may be, he can make you clean and whole. Sinner can leave a saint. Would you come today? Stand with me and sing.